Acts chapter 16. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. In Acts chapter 16, we'll always have scripture up on the screen for you. And if you don't have a Bible with you, we have some floating around in the seats here. And so grab some of those. And if you don't have one at home, take this one home. It's our gift to you. I think it's the best thing we could give you is a copy of uh, God's Word. And so take that home and, and, and keep it for yourself. While you're turning there to Acts chapter 16, uh, next week we're going to begin a journey through the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. We love to preach through books of the Bible, and so you know kind of how we do it as we go uh, Old Testament book, New Testament book, Old Testament book, New Testament book, and then in between those walks through the scriptures, we'll do series that are kind of pertinent to where we're at uh, as a church. And so back in the spring, we did a series called The Gospel-Centered Marriage, and so we worked on uh, marriages and getting ready for marriage and uh, walk through that a little bit. And so that's kind of how we do it. So next week we begin Nehemiah and we'll be there up until uh, about Christmas. So it should be a, a really good time. And so it's just packed with a lot of good stuff about uh, the renewal of uh, people, the renewal of the church, the renewal of the city here, Boston. And so just really looking forward to this together. And so uh, come ready for that next week. But this week, Acts chapter 16, uh, it's the time of year uh, for us, uh, kind of starting off a new school year that really serves in many ways as a reset button of sorts for, for many people and uh, with the end of the summer and the start of the new school year. And so I'd like to take this time together, this time of year generally, to just reset a little bit and to, to recalibrate our attention and our affection. And so uh, this week and last week, we've just been talking about getting our lives focused in on the mission of Jesus. And the mission of Jesus, if you remember Luke chapter 19, 10, he said, here's why I came. I came to seek and to save the lost. And that was his purpose. He came to, to rescue people. And then he also says, uh, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And so his mission to seek and save the lost, and he's sending us with the same mission to seek and to save the lost, to see people uh, rescued and restored to right relationship with the Lord. And so at the beginning of this new season, if we're consumed with anything else other than the glory of Jesus through the mission of Jesus, then we're, we're kind of off a little bit. And life is so much bigger than a degree. It's so much bigger than a, a career. It's so much bigger than money or travel or even family, noble things. Uh, these things find their rightful place within the mission of Jesus. And so we want to focus in on the mission of Jesus and get our lives really just tuned in, dialed in uh, today. And so we've been doing this last week and this week by looking at the birth of a church, the church of Philippi. I love Acts chapter 16. When we started this church almost three years ago, we really said we want to kind of model ourselves after Acts chapter 16. And so we're going to look there today and, and continue on by looking at the birth of this church. One thing that is really, really exciting about our church family is that at any given time, we have lots of pregnant women in and around our church. And let me just give you a little side. And this is going to be a good nugget. Take this and apply it. But never, 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 never guess. So if you're thinking like, who's pregnant right now? Don't even, don't even try. Don't even guess. Uh, when they have a newborn baby in their arms, then you say something. I, I made the mistake and just, I'm just saying, just, just wait. Don't, don't even guess. So last week, we looked at Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 10, and we called it the pregnancy of the church. And then this week, in verses uh, 11 through 40, we're going to call it the labor, the birth of the church. And so last week, the pregnancy, really looking at the preparation for all that God has in store. And, and this week, 
uh, the challenges of, of delivering and working out God's great plan. And so we're going to see Paul and his team go through a great struggle and a lot of challenge. Um, and just really challenge after challenge after challenge. But we're going to finish, just to give you kind of where we're going, we're going to finish verse 40 with just this beautiful picture of a church that is born, this infant church is gathered, new believers rescued by Jesus. And so uh, let me just say this, uh, that the labor of the mission of Jesus that I'm calling you to this morning, it's challenging, it's challenging, but it is so, so, so worth it. Every single mama in this room will tell you, despite how hard their, their labor was, and their pregnancy was, and how many times they had to get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, and their back aches, and all of that, the nausea. Every single mother in this room is going to say, it was so worth it. It was so worth it. When you hold your baby in your arms, it's worth it. And that's where we get at verse 40. And so I just pray that we can get to verse 40 really in our own lives, where we can see people are rescued and restored by living out what we see here and applying it. And so last week what we did is we uh, looked at a few what we called mission musts. And so we, we kind of tackled a few of these mission musts, things that are just musts for the mission of Jesus. And the first one is disciple making. We saw that uh, Paul brought young Timothy with him and he discipled him to spiritual maturity and prepared him for pastoral ministry. And so while Paul is engaged in the ministry, Timothy's walking alongside of him. And eventually Paul says, all right, you're going to stay here. And he leaves him later on uh, to continue the ministry that he's been training him for. The second mission must we saw is that we've got to be spirit-led, that, that the Holy Spirit told Paul where to go and where not to go and move here and don't go there. And, and likewise, uh, when... Uh, living out the mission of God and living our lives, we really need to constantly seek God's direction over our plans. That yes, we need to plan, but we need to ultimately hold our plans with a loose grip and say ultimately it's where God leads. And so we talked about being spirit-led. And then the last mission must we looked at last week was gospel preaching. That Paul and his team really concluded at the end of where we looked last week that they have been called to Macedonia for what purpose? Verse 10, they've been called to preach the gospel to them. And the gospel means the good news, that Jesus died for the sin of the world, that we were separated from God, that Jesus came in grace and love, and rather leaving us in our falling, fallen state, he says, I'm going to come, and I'm the only one who can rescue them and save them, and so he lives perfectly this life that we couldn't live. He dies the death that he didn't deserve, and then he resurrects, so that if we trust in his work and not our work, we can be restored. That's the gospel, and so Paul says, I've concluded that we are to preach the gospel, that God has called us to preach the gospel. And so, if our lives and our ministries are void of gospel proclamation, we've missed the main thing. That's what we're supposed to be doing, is proclaiming the gospel. Now, let's continue on in the text and get into the labor. Let's get into uh, the action. Uh, it's, it's baby time. And so let's watch this baby uh, be born. The, the narrative of the birth of the church of Philippi and how the Apostle Paul lives out the mission so that we can apply these truths. And so our, our next mission must is this. Our next mission must is strategic thinking. Strategic thinking. And let's look together at Acts chapter 16, verses 11 and 12. He says, So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. So we'll stop here for a minute. Here's what happens. 
Paul has been moving east to, to west, and he's really the, if you kind of follow and trace the cities that he's been going, he's just heading straight through Asia. And instead, God says, nope, right here, we're not going to Asia. Instead, I want you to go up and over to Mysia. Spirit of God didn't allow him to, to, to go there. And then when he's all the way up in Mysia, he now wants to go to Bithynia. And God says, nope, you're not going there either. And so they go down into Troas. That's where we were last week. He lands in, in Troas. And then in the middle of the night in Troas, after having kind of gone around Asia, he's in Troas and he has a dream. He has a, a vision in the night of a man, some kind of image of a man standing and urging him, come over here and help us. It's this man of Macedonia, come and help us. And the vision was so strong that the Apostle Paul concludes that this is the Lord giving me this vision and telling me where to go. And so what does it say that he does? It says the word immediately. After he has the vision, immediately he takes off for Macedonia. But he does so with strategic thinking. And I want us to, to notice what he does. Notice the strategy here. He goes straight to Philippi. Let me just go straight to Philippi. Yes, it says he makes a direct voyage to Samothrace first because it's an island in direct route, and so they probably stopped there and uh, filled up all of their resources that they needed to keep going. And then it says they landed in the coastal city of uh, Neapolis, which is right where they would need to, to, to dock their boat. But then they walked straight to Philippi, and it says that they remained in Philippi for some days. Now, this is the first Macedonian city. They were called to the region of Macedonia. It's the first Macedonian city where they stay and they proclaim the message of Jesus. Now, let's think about this for a moment. Why would he have headed straight for Philippi? He's called to Macedonia. Why Philippi? Look at verse 12. Because it's a leading city of the district of Macedonia. And God had called them to bring the message to Macedonia at large. And he goes straight to the leading city. Much like if God said, we want you to minister to New England, you're probably going to go straight to, you're going to go to Boston, right? Why? Because of population density, because uh, the city is the heart of the, the region, because culture emanates out of the city. There are major universities in the city. There are uh, politics happening in the city, the mass number of people in the city so that when they vote, it can change the course of the region. Medical research in the city, there's music in the city, fashion comes out of the city, the movers and shakers oftentimes are here. And isn't that just so true of, of Boston? Would have been true of Philippi? Boston has 80 plus uh, colleges and universities in the immediate region. So that doesn't include greater Boston all the way up to the North Shore and the South Shore and west of 128. That's a lot, a lot, a lot of, of students. And so today we get to welcome students and who over the next few years as they graduate are going to go back out into New England. Some of them are going to go back out throughout the, the nation. And statistics will tell us that 8% of them will go into the world, that 8% of Boston students are internationals. And so we get to minister to all of New England by ministering to students. We get to minister to the nation by ministering to students. We get to minister to the world by ministering to students. Boston is home to some of the best hospitals in the world. I can't even tell you how frequently I get emails or phone calls from people that I don't even know saying, we found you online and we have a family member who's getting a uh, treatment for brain cancer in Boston. Could you go pray with them? Could you go minister to them? I'm all the way out in Texas, or I'm all the way out in Washington. Can you go be with them? And we get to minister to people from all over the world in that way. Greater Boston is 
one of the most densely populated regions in the entire nation. So we get to minister to masses and masses of people. Statistics will tell us that in recent years, for the first time in human history, over half of the world's population lives in urban centers for the first time in human history. And so, Paul is called to Macedonia. We're called to minister throughout New England. And so, Paul goes to Philippi, and we go to Boston. It's what you call strategic thinking. Now, does that mean that urban ministry is the only kind of ministry that is justifiable? No. Wherever there are people, there needs to be churches. There needs to be ministries. In fact, Jesus himself didn't spend hardly any time in an urban context, with the exception of the end of his ministry when he was in Jerusalem. And so there needs to be ministries wherever there are people. And so we need just to be strategic. We need to be really strategic. Jesus was strategic outside of just the places he went. Think about the people that he brought under his ministry. He spent his time focused in on these 12 guys so that he could send them out who would then go and focus on others and discipleship would happen. This beautiful pyramid of the gospel being proclaimed by making disciples. Being strategic. Being strategic. The Apostle Paul, another piece of his strategy, I would say, is this. It was what we would call team ministry. If you look here uh, in this chapter, up until this point, the, the, the narrative has said, they did this, they went here, they went there. But now look at verses 10, 11, and 12. The text reads, we made a direct voyage. We remained in this city. We. And so the author of this book is in on this journey. He's saying, we. I was a part of this too. And the author of the book of Acts is it's Luke. He's the author of the book, ultimately the Holy Spirit through Luke. And Luke, who after much research and, and interview after interview after interview, he then writes the book of Luke and the book of Acts on behalf of a man funded by a man named Theophilus. At the very end of Second Timothy, I love this personal letter from the Apostle Paul to Timothy. At the end of the letter, this is kind of Paul's deathbed letter. He says this. He says, everybody's gone except for Luke. He says, Luke's the only one here. He's faithful to the end. He was a historian. He was also a doctor, a physician. So he had a lot of, a lot of options in front of him, but he stayed with Paul to the very end. And so back in Philippi here, who's on Paul's team? As he says, we, back in chapter 15, we know that Silas is on the team. At the beginning of chapter 16, we know that Timothy's on the team. Here, we get the we, so we know that Luke is on the team. We get into chapter 18, Priscilla and Aquila are on the team. Paul had a team approach to ministry. That was a big piece of his strategy, that I'm going to go with others. Jesus clearly had a team approach to ministry, appointing the 12, it says, so that they might be with him and that he could send them out to preach. We launched our church with the team. Six of them still remain. Everybody else died in the urban jungle. Just joking. Um, we started with a, a, a team. There's really clear benefit to a team approach to ministry. There's a rounding out of giftings. There's a support when things get really challenging. There's accountability, so it's never just a one-man show. There's help and struggle. There's more people equals higher success rate. And so this is a really, really important strategy. And whatever ministry that God's calling you to do, God doesn't want you to be a lone ranger. Team ministry. Do it with other people. But let's be strategic in what we do, like the Apostle Paul and like Christ. Here's, a, here's another way of saying it is this. Intentionality. Let's just be a people who live with intentionality. Are you being intentional this year 
as a follower of Jesus as to how you are going to reach out? What's your strategy to reach out to your family? What's your strategy to reach out to your family, or your coworkers, or your friends, or your neighborhood, or your classmates? Are you thinking strategically? We think really strategically about things that are important to us, don't we? So when it comes to our 401k or retirement, we're very strategic. When it comes to our health plan, how we're going to get in shape and lose weight, we're very strategic. When it comes to, I don't know, our degree completion plan, very strategic. But this is the most important task given to a believer. And yet so many of us aren't very strategic about how we're going to live out the mission of Jesus. If you're going to be a part of the the mission of Jesus this year, you have to start to think about, okay, what relationships am I going to intentionally enter into? What events am I going to intentionally participate in? What days and times and nights for meals am I going to intentionally set aside? What people am I going to intentionally try to get some time over coffee with or for a meal with? Let's think strategically. I have a lady in our church. I recently had a conversation with her. And she said, I'm trying to find a job, but I'm trying to find a job that will set me up to have a great relationship with coworkers. Not one where I just kind of pass them and barely ever get to know them or one where our shifts never line up. I want to be able to get to know them and equipped to reach them. We have people who are intentionally living on specific blocks so that they can minister to specific people. We have moms who are intentionally plugged into moms groups so that they can minister to other kinds of moms. I got a text last night. Guy was asking about a fire pit, and he was saying, are we allowed to use a fire pit in the city? Because I'm roasting marshmallows so that I can get to know my condo mates, people in my condo association. See, that's living intentionally. And listen, if we don't live our lives intentionally, our lives will randomly lead us. Isn't that true? You notice that? Like life will just bring you somewhere, and next thing you know, you're, I didn't want to be here. I am so busy. I'm too busy for the mission of God. It's got to be very, very, very intentional. This is not just for us type A people. This is for everybody. And some will say, well, aren't we supposed to be spirit-led? Didn't we look at that last week? And being strategic isn't being spirit-led, is it? Of course you can be spirit-led and strategic. You plan but yet your plans, you hold them with a a very loose grip. And you say, okay, God, if you want to change my plans, I just want to honor you and be prudent and wise. But if you want to change my my plan, I am okay with that. But live with intentionality. I love, I love, love, love how we see Paul doing both. Here's the next mission must for us is is we need to be prayer-driven. We've got to be driven by prayer. Look now at verse uh, 13 with me, Acts chapter 16. Now, In verse 13 it says, And on the Sabbath day, so they're in the city, now it's the Sabbath day, Saturday, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed that there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. We'll stop here for a moment. So the first thing that we see Paul and his team do, the first thing that they do when they get into the city is what? They pray. We're going to do this. Let's not just go get them. Let's pray. See, prayer is as much a part of the work as going and getting them, right? We've got to, to pray. Notice that Paul didn't just strategize and execute. They prayed and, and, and sought the Lord. And again, us type A personalities, 
we tend to, I tend to strategize and execute and want to do so without prayer because I'm just going to go make this happen. And the type B personalities are, well, let's just pray and God's just going to breathe on it. And we kind of need to do, we need to do both. They found a place of prayer outside of the city gates down by the river. They were outside of their van, I suppose. Some of you will get that joke. Others of you won't. Skip ahead to verse 16. It says, and as we were going to the place of prayer. So verse 13, they're looking for a place of prayer. Verse 16, it has become what? It has become the place of prayer. It is the place that they frequently go to because they are driven by prayer. Listen, is your personal ministry propped up by a vibrant prayer ministry? The prayer is the easiest thing for us to skip over, isn't it? Because prayer doesn't seem like it really has a deadline, does it? I got to get this done. I just have to get it done. And so I'll skip over that, and when God gives me time to pray, I'll pray. Now watch this. Pray and prioritize prayer, and then as you do that, watch how God gives you the time for the other things. It's amazing. And all the power that we're going to see ahead in this chapter is directly related to the fact that these guys started in prayer, and they continue to go back to the place of prayer. They had a dependency on God to show up, and God shows up. Prayer can't just simply be bookends to our ministries. Like, well, let's open in prayer because that's what churchy people do. And let's uh, close in prayer because that's what churchy people do. No, we pray always because prayer is the work of the ministry. It is the ministry. And time and time and time again, I find that the more I pray, the more I see God move. It's amazing. And it seems so simple, but in my human logic, as I separate myself from the gospel message that Jesus has done what I can't do, I tend to say, well, I'm going to go do it. And the gospel is, no, you, you never have done it. <laughs> I did it. Jesus paid it all, all to him. I, he did it. And so we pray and we say, I'm dependent on you to move, Lord. I need you to move. So let's see God move. Here it goes, 13 through 15. Check this out. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul and after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay and she prevailed upon us. Love this image. In my mind, I always kind of connect this image to when we were helping start a church in this rural, rural village in Honduras. And uh, we came back a year later, and they said, can you help us with our very first baptism service? And so we said, last year there was one believer. How many do you got, have to baptize? Uh, 27. What? So we went down to this river to baptize 27 people. And we went through this cornfield. It seemed like it was at least a mile hike. And I just said, I guess there's a river. We're just through the middle of rows of corn. And we pop out and it's just so picturesque. This, this muddy river, but this beautiful massive tree over it and people bathing and doing laundry in the river and kids swimming and playing. And then we get to baptize these people. And we prayed and we sang and I did a little preaching and we got to dunk a lot of people in the water. It was really, really cool. And every time I read this little section of the story of the birth of the Church of Philippi, picture this just down by a river, and they're just being believers. They're, they're doing what believers do, and they're praying, 
And as they're praying, they connect with these ladies. And we don't know what the ladies were there for, if they themselves were praying themselves. We do know that they were God-fearers. And so they probably were down there praying. They could be down there doing laundry. We don't quite know. But as they're there, one particular lady stands out. Her name is Lydia. It says that God opens her heart to receive the message by Paul. She was a seller of purple goods, which in that day means that she would have been a wealthy woman, a woman of means. I believe that as we go on throughout this chapter that her house becomes the, the start location of the, the church at Philippi. And it says that her heart was open to the message. And who opened her heart to the message? The Lord opened her heart. It was God's work, not their work. So she's been a believer in Jesus. She then gets baptized and her entire household gets baptized. And, and our next mission must here is that they are relationally concerned. You've got to see this. They're, they're relationally concerned. They go down to the riverside to pray. They meet these ladies, including Lydia. Are you living your life where you're concerned for relationships? You're really looking out for relationships? You've got to be looking for the relationships that God has put right in front of you. Many Christians think, well, I'm going to go do evangelism. Or I'm going to go to a church evangelism event, and I'm going to participate in that. No. Listen, the most effective evangelism event that we can do is saying, go home. See you later. Is you go and you be a believer wherever you are. That's the most effective evangelism event. Have you ever been to church evangelism programs? Awkward, right? I mean, terribly awkward. It's just not natural. Like, I, I remember going to this, they called it the power team. And these are a bunch of really jacked guys who would lift weights and break baseball bats over their knees, and they would rip phone books in half, and you'd go, that's awesome. And they would say, and Jesus gave me the strength to rip the phone book in half. I'm like, really? That's, I just thought it was the steroids that you were using, man. But it was, and it was there, it's just awkward. It's so not natural. Natural relationships are natural and organic. Listen, there are no coincidences in God's economy. And so your roommate, it's not a coincidence. That's, that's your roommate. Your neighbor, that's, that's no coincidence. You cubicle beside that guy or that woman, it's no coincidence. Some of you go to the park frequently and you keep bumping into the same person. You think that's a coincidence? No, God's saying... You walk through the book of Ruth. That one's amazing to me. You walk through the book of Ruth and you just see, it, it uses the phrase, happened, 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 like this just happened. To say, no, it doesn't just happen. God is causing you to intersect. I love that. These are your riverside run-ins. They connect with these ladies, no coincidence. You connect with a roommate, no coincidence. Cubicle, no coincidence. Coworker, no coincidence. So now it's up to you to do what Paul did and proclaim the message of Jesus as you build a relationship and let God open their hearts. So it's not about you being really smooth talking, got it all together. It's about, as it says here, God opened her heart to receive the message. And if you fail to proclaim, no telling how many Lydia's out there that we have missed. What happens to Lydia after faith in Jesus? She's baptized, and who else is baptized? Her entire household. Just love this image that each person that we reach, each person that we 
connect with is not just one person. It's a connection into an entirely different new sphere of influence. So as you all scatter today, spheres and spheres and spheres of of influence into a family, into a neighborhood, a community organization, a team, a hall, a dorm, a new university. It's amazing. We can connect with more people. We're not talking about selling Pampered Chef here, right? We're not talking about those annoying people that, hey, have a party because you got a new, you know, you got a new sphere of influence. That'll be awesome, right? And then we can get more people and I can make commission. We're talking about, I'm not begging you to help me. I'm trying to help you. This is the gospel. This is the gift of Jesus, and I I just want you to have it. This similar situation to a new sphere of influence happens again in verse 33, as we'll see the jailer comes to faith in Jesus and his entire family. More people through spheres of influence. All right, now, moving faster. Contractions getting closer and closer together and longer and longer. God is moving. I kind of sound like I've been there, right? I have a few times. Crazy. Brace yourself. Verses 16 through 24. Here's what it says. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore tore their garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. When they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, they put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. All right. So here's the, the next mission must. It's obstacle facing. That's a must. Obstacle facing. So what happens next? There's this little servant girl. And she's been hanging around, it says, for many days. She's demonically oppressed or possessed even. And as a result, she has these powers to predict the, the future. And her owners are making a killing off of this girl. She's like their cash crop. They're making a killing off of her, and they're charging people for her to then tell their future. And she's been following Paul and his team around for many days, proclaiming, these men are servants of the Most High God, which was true. But it says Paul becomes greatly annoyed, probably because he doesn't want, even though she's saying truth, he doesn't want to be associated with this demonic activity. We're not in cahoots. We're not working together. And so Paul just gets really, really bold, and he says to her, speaking directly to the Spirit, says, leave her in the name of Jesus, and it says, that hour, it leaves her. Power, freedom for this girl, and life change, and that's what it's all about, to see people free. People today who are are really in captivity to Satan's sin and death, many don't even know it. But had these men not come to Philippi, this girl would not be free. 
But they were obedient and they went to Philippi. They were sensitive to the Spirit of God and they went to Philippi. And this woman was free. No longer in bondage and oppression. I just pray that we can see the mission this way. That we can see with the eyes of Jesus, with the eyes of the Apostle Paul and his team, that people are in bondage. They might look happy, but people are in bondage. And we are about their freedom. See, too many Christians today kind of tiptoe around the the message of Jesus as if it's going to hurt somebody. We need to see it this way. that No, it's not going to hurt somebody. It's going to free somebody. When you see it through that lens, with that understanding, you don't have to tiptoe. You don't have to say, can I maybe tell you about Jesus? I don't want to offend you. I'm real nervous about this. No, you say, I get to tell you about Jesus. He has changed my life. Paul says, I'll be a fool for Christ. I don't care. Because he was so confident in how good this news is. Have you seen a life changed by Christ? I mean, have you seen somebody just radically changed by Christ? Freed by Christ? Have you been freed by Christ? So, do you want that for others? Do you want that for others? We should be there. We're seeing God-sized power, God-sized activity. But in the midst of all of this power, in the midst of all of this life change, Lydia and now this young girl, roadblock, right? Big obstacle. The owners of the girls realize, wait, we can't make money off our girl anymore. And they are ripped. They are angry. I mean, this is similar to the story that takes place later in, in Ephesus, where the silversmiths, they make money off of these little shrines to Artemis. And Paul is out proclaiming that no, no, we don't worship things that are made by hands. Come on. For real? Don't you see through this scheme? It's like the magnet bracelets. I mean, come on, really? You get this? And so people start getting rid of these idols, stop buying these idols. And the silversmiths, obviously, are, they're, they're ripped. Like, that's our business. That's our livelihood, Paul. This would be like today, the church shutting down the porn industry. Wouldn't that be incredible? It'd be amazing. And they get really mad at us. And it's okay. So the slave owners are really, really ticked. And they have Paul and Silas brought before the marketplace, the magistrates, some Roman people who kind of police the the area, start accusing them, disturbing our city. It's a good little phrase. I like that. Disturbing our city. Elsewhere in the, the, the scriptures, it'll say that there's no small disturbance concerning the way. I love that phrase. It's a good kind of disturbance when you shut down the porn industry, the silversmith industry, where you shut down somebody oppressing a little girl for money. The crowd gets in on this. You start going at it for these two guys. Then they rip their clothes off, stripped naked and humiliated. And then they order them to be beaten with rods. I wonder if anybody in here has ever been beaten with rods. Pretty uncommon today, at least in our nation. But it's not uncommon globally. Think about Syria right now and what they're going through. Christians there today. They're stripped naked and they're beat. Maybe now's the time for me to do an altar call. And if you want to follow Jesus and get into that, come on up front and we'll pray. Right? This is not American Christianity, is it? American Christianity is, let's get comfortable. What can Jesus do for me? But the call is, let's get in on some of this action. 
Let's be about the mission of Jesus no matter the cost. I mean, looking throughout history, the seasons of the church's greatest growth are also the seasons of the church's greatest persecution. You know that? Why is that? Because us cultural Christians would have been weeded out for not being the real deal. The posers. And those people who really believed in Jesus to the extent that we're willing to get beat for this, we so believe this, they rose to the top and people saw the real thing and they said, I want that. They must really believe this. This must be true. And so these guys strip naked and they're beat with rods. Does that mean they're doing something wrong? Come on, they just got beat. Must be doing something wrong. No. It means they're doing something right. <laughs> I had a person ask me one time, said, Josh, it seems like the ministry of Jesus, as you read through the gospel accounts, it seems like there's a lot more demonic activity in that season. Seems like it because there, there was. Because if you were Satan, would you not be threatened? If God says, I'm coming to earth and I'm going to crush you. It's going to, let's do something. Not that it doesn't happen today. It certainly is active today. But it was on the, on the move then. Satan was on his toes. And Satan is on his toes here in this moment. Because he's threatened these guys are doing some amazing work for the Lord. We don't see a lot of that today here, in America at least. Why? Because he's not threatened by us. We come once a week, we sit, we do nothing, and then we leave, and we come back, and we say, give me, give me, give me. I'm preaching to the choir here because I've never known a church like you who does this so well, lives out the mission of Jesus. But let's keep pressing forward. There's demonic activity, there's obstacles. Listen, count that as a sign that you're doing something right when you face an obstacle. That God is on the move and the enemy is on his toes here. Good for you. I don't want to sound insensitive because it gets tough. But don't be discouraged by the obstacles. Find it within you to be encouraged by the obstacles. I'm a threat to the enemy. God is doing something great. Think about Acts chapter 5 verse 4. The apostles, they're beat. And then it says they were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Anybody ever like come across an obstacle in your ministry and said, yes, praise God, this is awesome. That's what these guys did. It's crazy. Because they saw it as a sign that, that you know what, God has counted me worthy to suffer dishonor. I can relate with Christ and I must be being used by him. I don't want to sound insensitive because it gets tough. It's challenging. I get that. That's why we're here. That's why we gather together to support each other, edify each other, refocus on the mission, focus on the Lord, and be encouraged so that we can then scatter. We gather, we scatter, we gather, we scatter. But we also can remind ourselves time and time and time again, like the book of Revelation, we get to the end and it says that he will wipe away every tear from your eye and death shall be no more. And mourning and crying no pain anymore. But until then, obstacle faces. They were naked, they were beat, they were thrown into prison, their feet were put in the stocks. And we're going to face some obstacles. Listen, come on. We're going to face some obstacles. Is somebody looking down at you? Is somebody thinking you're ignorant? You really believe in that? 
Like you believe in unicorns or something? Maybe you lose friends because of it. Maybe you struggle financial loss because of, I don't know, maybe you lose a job because somebody doesn't like who you are as a follower of Jesus. Maybe doors to ministry are closed because people don't want you involved. Listen, you've been counted worthy to suffer. But now look what happens next. Spirit activity. Check this out. Verses 25 through 33. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night, and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. So they have been humiliated, they've been beaten, they've been locked up. What are they doing, it says, while they're in lock, lock up there? It says they are praying and singing songs to the Lord in prison. Listen, don't let the obstacles stop you from singing. Don't let them stop you from worshiping the Lord. I know the feeling of walking in a church and feeling like I can't sing today. I'm just too hurt. Things are too hard. That's why you're here. We want to support you. Don't let it stop you from singing. They're singing and then, boom, it happens, right? God, the Holy Spirit shows up. Earthquake. The doors are busted open. Their, their bonds are unfastened and freedom and power. This amazing thing happens. It's incredible. And the jailer knows that their leaving, their escaping would be his head. And so he draws his sword and he's ready to kill himself, ready to end it right there. And as he's about to end his life, Paul screams, no, no, don't kill yourself. We're all here. We're we're right here. They didn't run out. They didn't say, sweet, we're free, we're out of here. In Paul's eyes, this move of God wasn't an opportunity for escape. This move of God was an opportunity for greater witness. Isn't that incredible? No, 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 we're here. We're not leaving, we're here. And we're going to tell you something really cool. He says, what must I do to be saved? You talk about a softball. <laughs> you ever had somebody just say, hey, tell me how I can come to Jesus? Wouldn't that be awesome? What must I do to be saved? Paul says, well, again, because God did the work. When you're saying, I don't want to talk to them because they might reject me, you have no idea what God's been doing to prepare them to intersect with you. Just like God did something really great here to prepare him to talk with Paul. And he says, here's what you got to do. You got to believe in the Lord Jesus. You got to believe in the Lord Jesus. It means you've got to trust in Jesus and what he's done and say, I believe that that is all that I need. His death on the cross, his resurrection for me. He believes. Pretty simple, huh? He believes. He trusts, trusts in the Lord Jesus. And again, who? Him and his entire family. Love that. 
whole family, whole sphere of influence. The jailer then takes Paul and Silas, cleans up their wounds. Remember, they were just beat. And Paul baptizes them. Now, a lot of times we just picture this baptism, celebration. Can you imagine Paul, weak from a recent beating, pulling this guy up out of the, the water? Weak from a beating, but strong in the Lord. Excited. Spirit activity, isn't it? And God's moving. God's doing some incredible things. And this was completely out of Paul and Silas's control, right? They, they couldn't make this happen. They were locked up. They were in stocks. Let that be to you a sign that, listen, it seems impossible. It seems too hard. No, God, the Holy Spirit, can do anything. He can do anything. Doesn't mean he's going to do everything. Like you just tell him what to do and he'll do it. But he can do anything. And so don't ever cease praying and singing and pleading, God, do something that I can't do. And a lot of times I prefer the times when he does something that I can't do so that I can't say I had a part. It was, it was all me. No, it was all him. Clearly, God did something that defied human logic so that he can get all the credit. Don't we want that in our own personal ministries and in our ministry as a church? That God will do things that defies human logic that we can't say, well, this led to this and then I did this and then he did that. And he just showed up. It's his plans, not my plans leads us to our next mission must. Encouraging moments. Get some encouraging moments along the way. You need those. Look at verse 34. And then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Can you picture this scene right here? God had just moved in this unbelievable way. It clearly wasn't there strength. It was God's strength. He freed Paul and Silas. He saves the jailer from near suicide. The jailer and his entire household come to faith in Jesus. They've been baptized. And what do they do? They all go back to the jailer's house and they eat and they rejoice and they celebrate. They celebrate what God has done. Listen, these moments in our lives are crucial. These moments of of celebration. In the Old Testament, what do they do? God does something absolutely amazing. They get a bunch of rocks, they pile them up, and they make a monument. We're called matzavats. He said, we want to remember that God has moved here. For us, every baptism, celebration. Right? Every time somebody comes to the Lord Jesus, celebration. Every time there's a big God-sized answer to prayer in your life, tell somebody. Write it down. Set up these monuments of sorts. Rejoice. Celebrate. Reflect. We do this. Why? One, because he deserves the worship. He just did something that only he could do. And we do this too, because it's going to get hard again. And when it's hard, you can go back to that moment, that monument of sorts, picture of your baptism, the monument on the ground, that that memory of when God showed up in an amazing way, when you gather over a meal to celebrate what God had done, you go back to that. And they keep you moving forward because you say, no, God is in this. Because it's real easy when things get tough and you're in the, the fog. It's real easy to say, I don't think God's around. No, remember? Remember what he did? I have some of these moments in my mind of celebration. 
when God's presence was so undeniable. He so moved in an amazing way. Seeing 40 plus teenagers come to faith in Jesus. I remember the day he gave us this building. It was just a huge answer to prayer. Some of your baptisms, some of seeing you guys come to know the, the Lord. When God gave the church a, a free, three free offices. I mean, just amazing in the, the city. God dropping a financial blessing upon us. Just on and on and on. God doing these things that you just say, wow. It was clearly God. And you remember those because when it gets tough, you need those moments. You need to remember God was here. God was, was in this. And so this mission must is those encouraging moments. You've got to have those. Let's read on. Getting really close here. 35 through 39. Check this out. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let these men go. And the jailer reported the words to Paul saying, these magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. And so they came and apologized to them. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. We'll stop here. Okay. Morning rolls around to all this craziness. Hardship and blessing. And the Roman leaders, are, they're just done. We're done. Just let them go. Get out of here. And Paul says, that's not happening. No, it's not happening like that. You have beaten us publicly, humiliated us. Men who are uncondemned. We are Roman citizens. We deserve a trial. This was not due process. So if they want to let us go, they can come and personally escort us out of here. And they say, oh, they're Roman citizens. Uh Uh-oh. Which means they deserved a trial. They deserve due process. So you see these humble guys come, and what do they do? Apologize. (laughs) Just picture the scene. That, uh, hey, you know that whole stripping you naked and beating you thing? I'm sorry. <laughs> it's kind of one of those like, I don't know if that does it justice. <laughs> I'm sorry for beating you, humiliating you. And then they escort Paul and Timothy out publicly and Silas and the team. You see what Paul did here? This is really cool. This next mission must is Paul exercised cultural wisdom. See, Paul knew that as, as Roman citizens... Roman law demanded that they get a hearing prior to being scourged, prior to imprisonment. And he also knew that by escorting them out publicly, it would lead to greater opportunity for people to say, what was going on? What's this all about? Those guys are, they just beat them. What's going on? It's a great testimony of the power of Jesus. See, Paul knew the culture really, really well, and he used his understanding of the culture for the advancement of the message of Jesus. And we must do the same. It's called contextualization, understanding the context that you live in. What do you know about the culture that you're in that will serve for the advancement of the gospel? So if you're a student, what is it that people at your university, your college, are seeking after that they will not find in their studies? that they will not find in that relationship, that they will not find in that party scene. 
You understand the culture and the context and you go for it. You're a businessman or woman. What is it that my coworkers are longing for and pursuing that they would give 80 hours a week to this job? What are they after? You understand the culture and you go after it. You understand what's going on in our neighborhood, the hurt of our neighborhood as the result of the Catholic priest scandal, as a result of violence, as a result of economic struggle. Do you know what people are feeling? Can we speak into that more appropriately? We can if we have an understanding of it. There are a lot of young families in our neighborhoods. Okay, how can we speak into that context and understand the culture? And see how Paul was culturally wise here? And how we need to be culturally wise and seek to understand the context that we're in so that we can better effectively present the gospel. Not that we change the message. That's a mistake lots and lots and lots of people have made. We'll change the message because, you know, that's a little too firm back then, but not today. No. The message stays the same. You don't want a message that evolves, then it's no message at all. It's called a rumor. It's the message. It's the good news, right? This is news. This is factual. This is news. It's not the good opinion. No. So you know it in the context. And you share it appropriately. Paul and his team are released after having been escorted out. And look at our last verse. Look at verse 40. And so they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. So our last mission must for today is this. Gathering believers. Gathering believers. So they leave the prison. And where do they go? They go to Lydia got a lot of money. She's a seller of purple. She's probably got a big place. And it says, when they go to Lydia's, who else are they visiting there? The brothers. So it's not just Lydia. It's brothers, which is a word for family in Christ, the church, other believers. So you have Lydia probably there, along with the, the slave girl, along with the jailer and his family, along with Silas and Paul and Timothy and Luke, maybe other new believers that came as a result of all of the, the amazing things that God has done. What do we call this? We call this church. This is the church has been born. This is the first corporate worship gathering of the church of Philippi. Birthed out of a really, really painful labor. Really painful. But it was worth it, wasn't it? The church is born. You skip ahead. Go home maybe later today and read Philippians chapter 1. Read the whole book. It's the most joyful letter in the scriptures. Paul's writing 10 years later back to this church that he sees see started here. All that pain leads to joy and a beautiful, healthy church being born. And believers are, are gathered together. I'll never, never lose the image of my wife, Becky, holding our newborn baby, Isaiah, in that hospital bed with sweat on her forehead after a very challenging, very scary delivery. Never forget her with a smile on her face. How can you smile after you just went through what you went through? But it was worth it. It was worth it. Totally worth it. Church, are we willing to sweat a little bit? Christians, this season, God 
has called us to work. The book of Revelation says that, listen, we have an eternity of rest from our labors. But for those who follow the enemy, it says they have eternal what? Eternal unrest. So in this season, we work. This season, we enlist. This season, we don't want to miss out on what God's done, what God is doing and wants to do through you. So we apply these principles and we get to work the mission of Jesus. And listen, it's so worth it when you see a life changed by the power of Jesus. Some of us in here, we haven't trusted Jesus yet. Let me say this. You can't give a gift that you don't have yourself. And so, maybe today, like Lydia, God is opening your heart to the message of Jesus. Maybe today, you're in your heart saying like the jailer, what must I do to be saved? And the message is simple. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Not believe in Jesus, just another guy who did some miracles and was a good teacher. No, believe in the Lord Jesus. Jesus as God. That he is the Lord. That you worship him. You follow him. You turn from sin and you turn to him. And you say, I couldn't do it, but you did it. I trust in you. I believe in you. You're my king now. And you become a believer scriptures will say you pass from death to life. Become a new creation. God changes you. And then you enlist. And you get about the work of the kingdom. So if you have never given your life to Jesus, I want to invite you in this time to call out to him and to say yes to the Lord. If you have given your life to Jesus but you're distracted and maybe this is being used of the Lord to recalibrate you, refocus you in on the mission, I just pray that you would leave, scatter today ready to the use of God. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your scripture. Lord, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. God, I just pray that you are honored in everything that's taken place in this room today. God, we pray that people who are far from you in this moment would turn to you, they would trust in you, that they would believe in the Lord Jesus. You would give them confidence that they are passing from death to life. They are a new creature. That they would then tell somebody, come talk to me. Just commit them to you. And I pray for the Christians in this room that they would be about the ministry, the work of the Lord Jesus. Thank you for bringing them here today so that they could refocus in. God, I just pray that they would have the privilege to see God-sized activity. Thank you that though you don't need us, you choose to use us. And you allow us to get in on this action and we get to see amazing things. Pray that they will be able to see a new believer, hug a new believer, and say it was so worth it. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.